please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, and we will be picking back up where we left off uh, last week, and we're going to be picking back up in verse 19 of chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. We're going to take this and a couple of more parts here of chapter 5 along. We didn't want to rush it here and for uh, to see what the Lord has for us this morning. Paul says here, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Father, we again come before you, and as we open up your word, we ask you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts individually, corporately, Lord, but let us have ears to hear and hearts to receive for what you have for us this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. These last few verses of chapter 5 hinge upon verse 13 that we spent some time last week on. It says here in Galatians chapter 5, 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, as a believer, as we walk through this life, we should depend on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us to live a life that is pleasing to our Lord. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. You can try to do a lot of things in your own flesh, in your own ways, and lean on your own understanding, and lean on your emotions, and and lean on what the world tells you in the latest books of the top, whatever. But keep in mind that it's not going to benefit you now or in eternity if you do. Because so many times we do lean on our own understanding, our own logic. We understand in Proverbs 3, we are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And so critical that we hold on to those, that scripture, that truth, because as we go through life, we need to remember, we need to know and understand that the Holy Spirit, as a believer, the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. And that he has sealed you for eternity, and that he wants to guide you and empower you to live a godly life doesn't ask you to do something he's not going to follow up and give you the power and the ability and the knowledge and wisdom to do it 
It's not like a bad boss where he says, go do something and not tell you what to do or how to do it or demonstrate it, let alone live it or be an example of it. Jesus Christ was all of that for us. And how do we know that? Well, we need to be in the word because he speaks to us and shows us. That's why we need to have a craving, the deepest craving for the word of God to speak to. He is the word. We have to have the deepest of desires to know him on a personal level. I want to know everything about him. I want to know everything he thinks, how he responds, how he feels. I want my life to mirror an image of Jesus Christ. That's my deepest of desires. As a child of God, I want to be pleasing to my heavenly father. It's Father's Day. What child, especially a boy who sees his father, he looks up to his father and desires, oh, I want to be just like my father. And how important it is as fathers that we are those examples that your kids can look up to, that they can turn to, that they can model after. They can desire to be like their father because their father is a good, good father. And as they grow and mature in their walk and their maturity physically, emotionally, but then spiritually, they'll realize you're just an image or, an, uh, or a picture of their heavenly father that you've introduced them to. And so that they can then turn their eyes solely upon him and live a life that's pleasing to their Heavenly Father. But a believer, the Spirit, does not operate automatically in a believer's heart. He waits for us to be dependent upon him. He doesn't force you and I to comply with his will. He just desires that you do comply and be obedient as he directs you and reveals to you his truth. And he just wants you to depend on him with all of your heart and mind, soul, and strength. And when a Christian does yield to the Spirit's control, the promise is that his will will not to gratify or follow through with the desires of the sinful nature, Paul mentions earlier. While no believer will ever entirely be free in this life from evil desires that stem from his fallen human nature, he need and you need and I need not surrender to those fallen nature, but experience the victory by the Spirit's help. Because God has given us victory. Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross for those sins. He has given you victory. If you remember in the early part of chapter 5, we see it, that military term, that entrenchment, that it's like the enemy's on one side, you have the, the, you're on the other side, and you have this golly in between. If you remember the old movies, they're dug their trenches deep, they're down deep, they've got their heads low, and they're popping up and shooting once in a while, and they're coming up and getting back down so they don't get shot, but they're entrenched in the battlefield. That's the flesh and that's the spirit. They're entrenched. The spirit's not going give to give, uh, give up on you. The flesh doesn't want to give up on you. And they're constantly popping the head up there trying to shoot at you. 
But that entrenchment, no one wants to give way. But we're thankful that God has started a work in us and he is faithful to complete that work and he's never going to give up on you and I to refine us and to mold us and to shape us into his son's image. Amen? I don't know about you, but I, days when you don't feel like it, it doesn't matter how you feel. It only matters what God thinks. And he is faithful to complete the work in you that he said he's going to start. The question is, are we willing to let him do that work? Are we willing to yield our flesh to the Spirit's control? Because Paul explained the need for a life that is controlled and energized by the Holy Spirit. Paul emphasized that a godly life is not lived under the rules of the law, but in a life led by the Spirit, we see in verse 18. We need to be led by the Spirit because we are prone to go to extremes. Our flesh loves to go to extremes. Emotionally, physically, even spiritually, go to extremes. And one believer interprets liberty that God has given him as a license to sin. And that's the pendulum swing to the right. But then there's others who will look at that and say, I can sin. I have a license to sin because I have been forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I can live however I want to live in this world. And God's grace and mercy will cover this for me. And other believers, seeing the foolishness of that, swings the pendulum to the other side and goes to legalism or lawless kind of aspect and says, everything in a Christian's life should be controlled. How they look, what they wear, where they go, what can they do, and it's just complete control of their life. Legalism. Religiosity. But Christian liberty is right there in the middle. For many, this is a danger, a very dangerous reel to them. Not because of God's grace fails in their life, but it's because men fail of the grace of God, Hebrews 12, 15. Because if there is a true grace of God that we see in 2 Peter 5, 12, then there is also a false grace of God, and there are false teachers who love to turn Christians to this false doctrine. They love, these false teachers love to turn the grace of our God into a license of immorality, and we see that in Jude 4. So Paul here in our scripture in chapter 5 and even into 6 warns us and cautions us one a very valid one that is under Christian liberty is not a license to sin but an opportunity to serve God and one another. That is what God's called us to do. To serve him and to serve one another. Not to serve your flesh. But even on a higher level, the Holy Spirit within us gives us the love of God. He doesn't just sit there, you need to love me and love others. But he actually gives us the love of God. We see that very clearly. That he pours out in our hearts what we need. Romans 5.5. 5. He touches on it in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 and also verse 22 that we'll get to. Because apparently Paul's looking at these Galatian believers were lacking this kind of love that he was teaching them. 
that comes from God. And he's re reinforcing and reinforcing and repeating himself multiple times we see in the scripture. Because they were backbiting and they were biting and devouring one another, we see in verse 15 of chapter 5. And they were in danger of destroying one another because they did not have that love for God and they did not have that love for one another. Anytime you try to, you're a sheep and you start nipping at another sheep, you know you're wrong. You're always wrong. It's not what, it doesn't matter what they did or said or done. You start nipping, you're wrong. You need the love of God to fill you afresh. You need the Holy Spirit to change your heart. To have forgiveness, to not have that bitterness, not to have the things that Paul is going to outline us in the scriptures here today shouldn't be part of our lives. Because the law cannot force people to get along with each other. Ask any parent who says, these are the rules of the family and you, your, your siblings are going to love each other and I'm going to figure out how to make that happen. And I'm going to force you. I'll even bribe you. Get along with your brother or you're not getting ice cream today. But the law does not change. It does cannot force people to get along with each other. No matter how many rules, how many standards you apply in your house, which they need to be, don't get me wrong, but also in, in the church, and the church adopts all these laws, the law has no guarantee of spirituality in one's life. Unless the Holy Spirit of God is permitted to fill the hearts with his love, Selfishness will reign, competitiveness and competition, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do kind of attitude will reign in person's life. Division will then start coming about and will start reigning. And both extremes in the Galatian churches that we see, the legalists and the libertarians, they're all both were destroying each other in the fellowship they were together. I don't care if you're a legalist or if you're a libertine. They will both destroy a fellowship within. And we must change our hearts. Now, of course, this doesn't apply to us here at this Calvary Chapel. I'm sure it's the ones down the street. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. He uses the word of God to train us and teach us and change us. He uses prayer, time we spend with him, talking to him about all things. Worship, the fellowship of believers to build us up in Christ. We know that the believer, the more the believer spends time daily in the word, daily in prayer, who yields to the Spirit as the Spirit moves in those times and reveals things. You yield to it. You surrender to it. You bow down to what God is saying and your immediate obedience. When you see those things taking place in one's life, it means God is working in their life. Is going to, that person is going to enjoy the Christian liberty and that God has given them because they're going to be in the will of God. And it will help build up the church as well. Because healthy sheep begot healthy sheep. 
fact that each Christian has two natures, a sinful nature received at birth, inherited from the fallen Adam, but also a new nature received at regeneration when a Christian became a participant in the divine nature, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we see in 2 Peter 1.4. And we see in the scriptures earlier in chapter 5, they're butting heads. They're contrary to one another. There's two battlefronts. And both are going, those, both those natures have desires. One is an evil desire. The other one is a holiness, of desire of holiness in your life. And so when the flesh begins to rise up, the only remedy that you and I have to bring down that war, to bring down those conflicts, bring down those butting of heads within is to take out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Word of salvation, and fight against the flesh. You must fight. You cannot live a passive Christian life and think you're going to survive within a day-by-day war that's raging within with your flesh against the Spirit. It's newsflash here. So many people who said, I will become a, church, a Christian, that all of my fleshly desires are just going to go away. No, no, the power and the, 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 the chains that hold you into that position have been broken because Jesus did that. But the, the, your, 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 your inner man, your inner woman has been, has been corrupted, has been changed. Yes, you've now died in Christ, you've died into the flesh. But that, that nature still lives within this body. Not talking about the hard body here. This is just, it's just bones and skin. That's just going to go. But, but the inner spirit, the soul of a man, is going to have this fallen nature that's going to rear its, up, its ugly head every single day, and it must be fought and brought back under control. Every thought needs to be brought under control by the power of God. You must bring every thought, fleshly desire that we're going to go through, pop up. You must bring it back under the understanding of what God thinks about that and bring that back under control or it will take root and it will eventually come out and live out in your life. And that's what Paul is saying here. You guys know the truth. The battle is within. The battle will never go away until you get to heaven and you've got the new body and the new complete and then you won't have to deal with those things. But until that point, you must fight the good fight. And he says, and I will give you the power and the sword, the word of God, to fight it. So many people say, oh, we're going to isolate you from everything. And you can't isolate yourself from everything. I'm telling you, newsflash, everyone, every, you can't turn to left or right or turn on the TV or even phones or anything. The enemy has a way to get to you and your children like no other day. And you must teach your children and you must learn how to fight. And God says to pick up the sword of the word of God, the sword of the spirit and start slashing away. Take them out. You don't sit there and negotiate because it's not negotiable. The flesh will never negotiate with the spirit. Never. You do not compromise, my brothers and sisters. You must stand up to the flesh. And Paul makes it very clear for us here. 
He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't take it, oh, let me just take and dance around it because I really don't want to talk about the flesh because it really might upset you today and you might not come back next Sunday or you might, you may not, oh, no, no, you won't get that here. I'm going to tell you all what the word of God says. Hold on. This is, parents, you're okay. Your kids will be fine. This is the word of God. They need to hear the word of God and I will say it in a way that they'll be able to receive it. Amen. So hold on. Here we go. Paul is saying it. God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, writing these words down for you and I, and it's not based on 18 years old or older, okay? It's those who understand. All kids who are in this room are 12 or older. You're an adult. You're a young adult. You need to hear these words. Here we go. He says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. So then it made it very clearly Paul says, you guys are so out there in the flesh right now, it has become outwardly now. What used to be in your head only is playing out. It's evident. Everyone can see what's going on around you. We see it playing out in your lives. We can see it what you, what, how you talk. We can see what you're doing, where you're going. It is evident. This is not a secret sins. These sins are playing out because all the flesh sins, they may start secret in your mind, but they will play out in evident to all, it will be exposed. It's only a matter of time. So make it very clear to you that God, if Paul is saying, any sin that you're playing on, that, and again, this is not an exhaustive list here. If you're playing in the mind, it starts in the mind, and after it starts in the mind, it works to the heart, and eventually it's going to start coming out. We'll start a little glimpses of the, the words you use, places you go, but eventually it is full-blown evident. That you're in the flesh and playing out in the flesh. And he says to them right up front, he, we, we see Paul has, has, has just written about the battle between the flesh and the spirit and every believer. He understands that this is an interior, invisible battle that takes place, but eventually it's going to be evident. It's going to be outwardly. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knows it is important to be specific here. He knows that if you're not specific, and I'm not specific today, then you or someone who's listening is going to walk away here, and, and, the, and the enemy, the flesh, is going to compromise. And says, ah, that's not what he said. He didn't say that, so it must be okay if I do it this way and not go to the left. He, he said not to go left, but he didn't say I couldn't go right. See, I, I'm going to make sure when we get through these, there's, clearly you're going to know what God says about these things of the flesh. Because Paul didn't want these people to sit there, oh, you're fighting between flesh and spirit. Okay, what is flesh? Are you talking about my, my exterior? My, I, I'm trying to keep my body from going places. No, no. He's talking about the attitude and the heart and the desires, that sinful nature, the desires of the flesh that will automatically come back physically, eventually. Now, Again, these works of the flesh are not all listed here. You need to go back to Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 32. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. There is more specifics even in those areas to understand the, the variety or the, the ugliness of the flesh within a person. And he starts here, and the thing that you need to understand is the word works of the flesh. 
Works is plural. It has a manufacturing terminology to it. So this has to be manufactured. It has to be brought up. It needs to be produced. And the works of the flesh does not produce righteousness of God. Regardless what stamp you put on it. I'm going to live in the flesh that I'll put a stamp that says made in righteous of God. Like made in China. No, no, no. Ain't going to work. You can't put, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, so it's okay. Or I'm a righteousness of God stamp on it. And somehow living in the flesh is going to make it okay. Don't be fooled by that. Cannot compete. They're contrary. The works of the flesh and they're led by the spirit are walking in the spirit are competing contrary. They never go together. Make sure that's clear in your mind today. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Many people, many commentators, many. And I, as I study this. I break it down into basically four categories. Some people break it down into three kind of categories of the sins that he listed here. But they're overall, they're pretty simple, straightforward. The first one is around sensual or sexual sins. The second one is around that spiritual religious sins. Then I break the social sins into interpersonal versus social. Interpersonal is those things that can dwell within your, in your mind only sometimes. And then the social is you usually do these things with other people. So, again, I don't care if you do it three or four. It's a list of sins. Make sure you understand them. And if they speak to your heart, you need to repent. It cannot be in your life. Don't be fooled. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. I'm saying to you today, don't be fooled. And we're here to help you. If you struggle in these sins, just know, and I'll say it three or four times between now and at the end, please come. We want to help you. We don't want you to be wallowing in the, 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 the pain and the suffering I know you're going through and the anguish, the shame, the guilt, all these things. We want you to come. We want to help you because you, God wants you to be free. And he starts off here with the sexual or the sensual sins here of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. See, we are often appalled at the sexual immorality of our day. You can look and read and see this played out in movies and TV shows. The shows are even calling it the way it is. You can't turn anywhere anymore, and you can see this actually playing out and demonstrated on our TVs today. But imagine what it was like when Paul wrote this back then. It was this Greco-Roman culture was even worse. So don't say, oh, today is so much more difficult than, than back then. No, it was, it was even worse back than there. Go back and read all these different uh, historical uh, events and people who are not even Christians writing on this. These are, these are heathens talking about how immoral and corrupt and wicked the sexual perversion was going on in that, uh, that Roman culture at the time. The first one, adultery, is, is the violating the biblical marriage covenant 
by sexual immorality. This word isn't included in the list of ancient manuscripts, and so, but so you'll know, and maybe in your, in your Bible, you may not have the word adultery. And it may not be included, but that doesn't mean it's still not a sin that's, and is part of the same definition under the second one we call fornication, and we will talk about that. But adultery is when you have someone who is married, a man and a woman who is married, and they have a sexual relationship with another person outside the marriage, that is adultery. That is to never happen. There is never an excuse. You can never say the Holy Spirit led me to this new person because we're, we're, we're soulmates. I got married too early. I didn't know I was young. And this is the one God has for me. Those are lies from the pit of hell, but especially it comes right from your flesh. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into adultery, and there is no excuse. But also let me tell you, those who have fallen to that sin, that is not the unpardonable sin. If you repented and asked for forgiveness, you have been forgiven. God paid for that sin on the cross, and you're free. Now live freedom and liberty in Christ and move forward. That is not the unpardonable sin. And if you have been sinned against because your spouse sinned you in that way, please forgive them. Please do not have bitterness. Please do not have resentment. Please do not think that that bitterness is going to cause him or her to suffer. They're going, if they have not repented, they're going to suffer. Far greater than you can ever do. God will deal with them. But if they have repented, of that sin, and they have asked for forgiveness, and they have come and asked for forgiveness. Give them forgiveness for your own sake, not for them, but for your own sake, for your own spiritual health, and for your ability to move on in freedom in Christ and to live in a joyful and peaceful life with God. You must get rid of the bitterness and the, and the, the baggage that comes with that. And as horrible and as wicked as it is, God has forgiven if they have repented. Please forgive them, even if they haven't, for your sake, so it doesn't destroy your life. Please forgive them and give them over to the Lord so that you can live what God wants in your life. Be free from Fornication is an ancient Greek word, or pornea. It speaks of sexual immorality in a broad sense, a much wider variety of sexual sin. It covers the illicit collection or connection between single or unmarried persons and can often signify adultery as also. That's why some Bibles do not have the word adultery in there. Webster Dictionary defines fornication as voluntary sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons or two persons not married to each other, sex before and outside of, of biblical marriage, Paul calls here, we see, is called fornication. 
This was so widespread in those days. It is so widespread today. It is in the culture today as acceptable and as like, oh, you, you, what do you mean? You haven't slept with her? Are you kidding me? Who goes and doesn't buy a car without test driving it? It drives me nuts when I hear that kind of logic. I tell women, you hear something coming, even implying that you run. And if you need me to come help you run while I take him out at the knees, I'll do it. <laughs> but he doesn't. No. Because what came out of his mouth is from his heart. It's wickedness. And it is, should not be tolerated. And you do not want to go into that, into your marriage, I assure you. Please. I want to help you if you find yourself in a situation where you're having sex outside of marriage. It will destroy your soul, the Bible says. Do you wonder why you feel helpless? Do you wonder why you feel confused and, and uncertain and wavery like you're on sand and you don't even know where to go in your life is because you've allowed something to come in to destroy your soul and you can be free from that. But you must just choose to repent and ask God to come in and the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. If you're not saved, to be saved today. And if you are saved and you've gone and started dabbling into this, you need to stop dabbling. Because it will destroy you, and I love you too much not to tell you this is destroying you. You just don't even know it yet. But I've watched so many lives, I'm telling you people, over the years of watching deep friends spiral out of control, and you try to grab their hand, and you try to tell them you're destroying, you're going to kill yourself, you're going to walk away, and they just won't listen because they're so gripped by that sin. If you know someone, please come alongside them and help them. Pray for them. Because most people have no idea that's just something I'm telling you destroying them. And sin never affects just you. It affects everyone around you. Everyone. If you continue to do it, it's a form of selfishness that will lead you to destruction. And Paul will touch on that very clearly here. He also said, Uncleanness. It's another broad word referring to sexual wrongdoing in the, in the general sense. It's, a, it's the opposite of purity. This is where you can get into these things. When you're into pornography, you're, that's uncleanness. It, and it, it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's not actual intercourse. It's not actually with another person. But it's in the mind. And it's, it's, just, it's filling you in impure thoughts and impure speech and suggestive speech. Even when you have the suggestive speech with a double underlining meanings to try to get people's attention to test them. That is uncleanness. I'm in a new group. Let me see if anyone out here is just like me and maybe I can hook up with someone here. And you guys are really hunters. You're coming in. You start send a little vibe, little words out and see who perks up and looks and sees who's like-minded. That's uncleanness. That should not happen. If you're a Christian, that, that, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, in the workplace, in the roundabout, in the neighborhoods, 
and cleanness in the secrets of your womb. Uncleanness dwells in the hearts of people. What can I do? They'll destroy you. Lewdness just takes it to next step further. Lewdness is, is translated in a way that it's, it is a um, uh, bringing forth or bringing to light the uncleanness that's in your heart. It's that ready to sin at any time moment. Someone who promotes the sin that they're in. Loves to display the sin. We even now in our culture today will celebrate an entire month of June, Pride Month. That is lewdness. Licentiousness. That is people who have said, I am happy, I'm proud, and I want to flaunt my immorality and throw it out with no restraint. I want everyone with no shame, no embarrassment. I want the public to know what I'm doing. I want to be open to uncleanness. I want them to be almost hooked to buy it and almost tempted to be brought into it. I want to shock the public of, of decency. We live in a lewd, incredibly lewd culture today. And it's grabbing a hold and destroying unprotected, unguarded, immature minds and hearts of our kids. He switches now to touching on two spiritual or religious sins, idolatry and sorcery. These sins of worship, these things that you give your life to, reminds us that it's it's. It's only tragic to worship the wrong gods or to seek the wrong spiritual power. It is a sinful, sinful sin to have idolatry and sorcery in your life. Idolatry is the worship of any God except the Lord God. The Lord God who is revealed in the Bible in the person of Jesus Christ. Anything or anyone outside of who Jesus is is idolatry. It's a false god. And when people serve a god of their own opinion, if they serve a god of their own creation, they reject the true and living God, and that will lead to destruction. Oh, we don't bow down to little idols, people will say. Are you kidding me? Have you watched the latest game these days, watching people, how they worship their team? Do you see how people can put their eyes on some Hollywood person? Are you kidding me? It's just you don't see it as adultery because you're, it's your God, and you don't want to be someone to tell you that that's, that's a false God. But if you give your money and your time and your energy and you pour out and you're emotionally swung up and down based on that, that person or that thing, that is an idolatry. You have to be very careful. And I've heard it so many times, oh, I can believe whatever I want to believe. 
You're absolutely correct. You'll never hear me say, oh, no, you can't. Now, of course, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You have free will to do that. But just understand, you're going to bear the consequences as well in that. Because there are always consequences. When you go against God, there's always consequences. Because God said, have no other gods before me. He's made that very clear to his people. And the Holy Spirit never led anyone into idolatry. You can't rationalize it. Sorcery. Some of your Bibles might be referring to as witchcraft. It's the service and the worship of a cult or occult. Spiritual powers apart from the true living God. It also in a, a dimensions or revealed by the word of sorcery. It's the original language Paul uses, pharmakia, which is where we get our word pharmacy today. Sorcery is defined as the use of any kind of drugs or potions or spells. Because Paul was trying to refer to them of what was taking place in these believers at that time. That culture was actually creating these potions, these spells, and taking these hallucinating drugs. Because it was their way to, to associate in their, this, this occult culture to bring, in, bring these experiences and these things to alter their mind state. This is not speaking about medical medications for healing purposes. It's speaking of saying, I, my heart wants to be altered my mind because I'm really out of it. I don't feel good. I need to relax. I want to be chill out. Let me smoke a weed. This is speaking about you. Oh, but this is the challenge we're going to face, my brothers and sisters. Is the enemy says, okay, that's fine. We'll just take another tactic. We'll get my people to convince the world that it's going to be medical marijuana. And that will justify why we can take marijuana. I don't care what label you put on it. The question comes down to you and to me, is the Holy Spirit saying yes or no? And if it is for medical, okay, that's between you and the Lord. Because you understand it's truly for medical purposes. But if it's just your veneer or facade to justify what you are already doing before they made it legal under medical marijuana, you're wrong. It's sorcery. You're just looking to alter your mind. And God says to bring nothing under influence to alter your mind. Because when you do that, then you will not be able to hear from the word of God. Take nothing to alter your relationship of being able to hear from God. Now we switch into interpersonal sins. These are a wide variety, Paul notes. Because some people say, oh, they're kind of just a facet of one thing. I don't think so. I think it's levels, and I think it's, you know, uh, dimensions of it, and you're going to see this very clearly because he says hatreds, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. These are things that start within the mind. No one even knows that you are angry or have hatred to that level. I hate that 
person. I loathe that person. And no one would really know until it grows to the point where it starts coming out of your mouth in your actions toward that person. Hatred. See, God cares about your sexual and moral purity. He cares about your religious, your spiritual worship. But he also is very passionate and cares about how you treat one another. Oh, it's important. There's a long list here, eight or nine of them, that clearly speaks to how you and I interact with one another. And he takes note of every single one of them. And how we treat interpersonal sins, these sins that will destroy you and impact others. And just remember how important our treatment of each other is to God. I want to make a statement here, and I hope you hear it. This list has no isms at the end. There's no hatredism. There's no contentionism. There's no label of disease or some category or CPT codes that says you have a, you have a disease called hatred. And it's not your fault. Because that someone else did it to you. You somehow got it from someone else. Well, that was true. Be very careful who you sit next to because they might breathe on you and you might get the hatredism and that will be living in your life. Isn't that the most stupidest thing you ever heard? But in today's world, they justify like everything else. Let's just put an ism or put something called disease and put it in a little medical book that says you've got the following and it's not your problem. It's someone else and we can give you drugs to treat it. It's insanity going on. The Bible is very clear. These are not isms. These are not diseases. These are sins. And they must be repented of and they must be dealt with. They must be put to death. It's the only way. See it the way it's seen it. Bring clarity the way it's clear and call it the way it is so it can be solved. So before you destroy yourself and others around you. Because I have watched more marriages destroyed because of the hatred that lives within that man. has to be dealt with. It's an attitude of heart. It somehow expresses itself in actions. And as it comes out from the inner motivation, and it comes out, and it's this ill treatment of others. Just as love is an inner motivation for the kind and good treatment of others, hatred is the opposite in the inner motivation to hurt others or to be ill treatment of others. And laws can be passed. Bullying can be, anti-bullying can be, laws can be passed. Anti-hatred can be, all of these things can be passed. Certainly, laws can be passed to punish the evil that men do against each other. They can. But no law can answer the problem of hatred, which motivates those acts. But the Holy Spirit is saying very clearly to you and I today, we know what the Holy Spirit says. God is very clear. It is sin. It is a part of your fallen nature, and it needs to be crucified. You must get it out of your life. And we're here to help you. 
we want to help you. But you must ask. It's part of the humbling process to ask. If you're not willing to ask, you can justify why you don't ask. But the bottom line is, God says, come to me. What does that mean? You come and you ask for God's help. God has brought people in your life, your brothers and sisters to your left or the right. He says, go, we want to help you. But ask. That means you have a willing heart. You have a right heart of wanting to do it. You don't have to be forced to do it. But the Holy Spirit says to you today, give it up. Surrender. Give it over to me. And I will give you rest. Come to me, all who you are weary and weary and burdensome. Come to me, I'll give you rest. <coughs> rest from the hatred that you've been dealing with your whole life. How about contentions? That's where those people who love to butt heads with other people. They love to wrestle with other people. They can't wait to get into confrontation. They can't wait to figure out what your buttons are to push your buttons to cause you to get angry so that they can get into a fight with you. Contentions. Squabbles. You ever see a child who loves to push their siblings' buttons because they haven't matured yet and haven't grown yet? You'll see that sinful nature come out very quickly of hatred. Even a very young you see that little baby, you know, just, you took my ball away from me. Or the contentions. I can't wait to get my sister spun up, spun over and banging off the walls and watch me do it. Parents say, oh, such a sweet little baby. The kids are angels. They're wicked little sinners. Anything you be saying? <laughs> just make sure that's very clear. Right up front. But contentions also is a term named strife. They love strife. We see that in Romans 13, 13 and 1 Corinthians 3, 3. It's a combative nature. Love to argue and debate. Jealousies. Translated in the ancient Greek word here, zealous, is sometimes used in a positive sense. God is jealous for you. It could be positive. But the word here is not that word. This word, zealous, is, means clearly one that is a wrong connotation. It means the desire to have what someone else has, and it is a wrong desire of what is not of us. I want that person's lifestyle. I am jealous for that lifestyle. Look at her life. Look what she has. What is she going through? I don't have that. And I want. Be very careful. Because you could be on the playing around with jealousy. That is not what God has for you. That's not your life. That is not what. Do not be jealous in that cause division because it will cause division between you and that other woman. Because you can't deal with it. So you put them at the arm's length. You stop communication. You don't want that to happen because you realize 
you want what they want, they have. I think one of the things in Facebook that drives me absolutely bonkers is people putting things out there as some snippet of a moment that looks like a perfect little world and they have no idea they're seeing the chaos all the way around them. And then people sit there and just dream of, into their lives. No, you don't know their lives. They're just giving you snippets of what's going on in their lives. You know how many times I've read things that I know that are not true, they, but they make it sound like this is true? And you say, just so they can make people think they're living a life that's inside they are completely different? Because they jealously want a certain life like others that they see. They're just, it's just they're veneers, they're false. We must be very careful of jealousy. Outbursts of wrath. It speaks of a certain sudden flash of anger. Uh, an unsettled state of anger. And people who have bursts of wrath, you know it, you see it, it's a temperament, you just know it's just like, boom! Who lit him on fire? I mean, what happened? Who said what? Who did what? It's a boom! It's like, what? I thought everything was fine. But they lose their temper. They lose control. They're unable to control their anger. It's this burning explosion ready to happen, and it happens on a regular, daily basis. But you know how it goes. You don't have peace in your life if you have outbursts of anger. You have not experienced the joy and the peace of the Lord in your nature. I desire that for you. I hope you have that desire. Because outbursts of wrath would no longer be who you are. There's Corey. He lived a long life. He was the outburst of anger model. And they stand up in your eulogy and they're talking about you and all they call you. Yeah, he had, sure had some outbursts sometimes. Were you part of that outburst? No, that should not be. That shouldn't be who you are. Selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions really doesn't care about the concept of service for others. It's all about getting profit and power for me. I want control. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it the way I want to do it. And no one else is going to stop me because they're all against me. Check your heart. Your selfish ambition, the selfish, selfishness that dwells is in all of us. It's what's in it for me. The whiff them, you ever heard that? Whiff them. What's in it for me? Uh, you get to work really hard, you get really dirty and get smelly, and you're probably going to get spit at, and all these things are going to come at you, and you get no money, you get no rewards, and you get nothing. It's called ministry. Oh, isn't that great? Isn't that fun? You get spit at, you get thrown up on. It's called motherhood. You just <laughs> you serve the children. No, no, no rewards, no nothing, you know. Fathers are different, of course, you know. Fathers always get rewarded and gratified and justified. You know, it's just the mothers. 
But if your mindset is, what can I get? What, what am I going to get out of this? What can I get? What's going to benefit me? I don't do anything for free. Are you kidding how important I am? How much value and how much I'm worth? Do you know what my titles are and all the initials behind them? Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Literally means standing apart. We see that in Romans 16, 17 and 1 Corinthians 3, 3. It's translated in the word of divisions. Dissensions or divisions. I love to cause division. I'll take this group, I see this group, and boy, watch this. I can get this to happen and watch this division take place. It's going to be great, and I can manipulate them. We see it in politics today. The heart of division, dissensions, I should say, causing divisions. That's how the enemy works. Divide, conquer. You see someone with a sinful nature of dissensions who love to divide and conquer, take note of it. It's sin. Heresies. It just means hardened uh, dissensions. It causes fractions or cliques. What do you mean? We're different. We need to be ministered to differently. Let's create the little division, a fraction or a clique over here, and we'll do our thing within the body. It's like saying, hey, we're about to, hey, we got the sure footing in here. Us toes, us feet, we're going to separate from the rest of the body. We're going to do our own thing. Hands, we do everything. Let's, let's separate from the body. Head, the rest of the body ain't going to do much without you know, thinking. So the head, let, let's head separate from the rest of the body. This should never happen. God is designed for the body to be as whole together, working together. That is, there's no other way. But the sin of heresies, the, the people who to choose to want their choices to be heard, the choice to choose to do what they want to do, and even if it causes fractions and clicks, is clearly sin. See, these two dissensions and heresies happen when people quarrel over issues or personalities, or groups causing hurtful decisions. And it cannot be within the body of Christ. We must be guarded on that kind of attitude. Envy? It doesn't so much of what uh, wants someone else of what they have. That's jealousy. But envy is a bitterness against someone else because of the lifestyle they have. I want their lifestyle. I am jealous that they got the car. I'm jealous they got the boat. I'm jealous about their house. I'm jealous about, but it turns to envy when you sit there and it causes a bitterness, causes such division because the fact that God has done something through their lives, that it has not gone through your life, that you desperately and, and that desire, that sinful desire to want more or want it your way. And it causes envy and it causes strife and it causes a bitterness and it's just going to hurt you and those around you. And ultimately from envy, it goes into murders. There is no Greek word 
or a Greek word that is more clearly defined from the Greek word to the English word is murder. It is as clearly as can be. And even in the original manuscripts, you do not see murder. So some of your Bibles might not say murder. But that doesn't mean you need to have that written in here to know that murder is sin. That is from the flesh. You will see that in other parts of the Bible. But you clearly know, just like the adultery, it is translated and it is sin. And it cannot be part of the work of the flesh that is manufactured within your, in your body. I got the speed up here. Verse 21, the, first, the last part there. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like. These are social sins. Sins that are often committed in the company of other people. They want to be drunk with someone. They want to have this out-of-controlled party that is, is so out-of-control, so lustful, so into the flesh that they have no problem drinking to their craziness or living in the parties so that everyone is joined into the big group. Now, Christians can differ on if you can drink or not. Can a Christian drink alcohol or not? The scripture precisely forbids drunkenness. That I know. Drunkenness, we must not think of it only as someone falling down drunk and can't get up. And they don't know who you are and they don't know where they are. That is not drunkenness. Drunkenness is anything that impairs your mind. For some, one drink would impair their mind. They're drunk. It is not about the number of six packs. Anything that alters your mind is drunkenness. And in the intention or the intention of becoming drunk is also a sin. We can go back and read Ephesians 5.18. It, drunkenness or debauchery, it is a weak, uh, it's called wastefulness. It is a wanting to just waste yourself in the form of altering your mind with alcohol. It cannot be. And when the God says you cannot drink, then it doesn't matter what you think, what drunkenness or not. God has already spoken to your heart, no, no alcohol, then you drink no alcohol. You have to be obedient to the Spirit of God. Revelries. The Greek word is komos. Again, unrestrained, out of control partying. It also is a word used here. Someone is carousing. Someone who's a carouser. They go out there and they start searching for the, for the fun time and parties and see who they can get. Cannot be in a Christian's life. And then if anyone says, oh, my, my issue is not on the list here, Paul. Woo! I'm free. No, no, no. He puts it at the very end, and the like. What does that mean? Everything. So it has any form or fashion connected to any of these things or enlisted anywhere else in the scripture. Guess what? You're the like. Repent. Why? Paul makes it very clear. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past. This is not the first time or the second time. Or I bet you Paul preached this day in and day out when he's sharing the gospel in this pagan world, church by church. This is not the first time. 
oh, pastor, you never taught us this. I didn't know. No, no. Paul says, I've been telling you. You may not have been listening, but I've been telling you. And he says right here that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before your head spins, what does the word say here? What's the key word? Those who practice such things. You deliberately, like, a, like, like an athlete, want to get up, and I deliberately am going to exercise because I have to run the race. I've got to better my time. I've got to stay healthy. I deliberately do this. I get up and I deliberately go to work because if I don't get go to work, I don't get paid. You deliberately, habitually, continually desire to, well, sometimes you don't desire to go to work, but you know you need to go to work and you've got to go to work. That's what it's talking about. Paul says often his, his trucks, he made it clear to them. Paul knew they were saved by God's grace, Jesus' work alone in their lives. It's only by his grace. It's only by the, uh, Jesus' work alone. It's not by what we've done or doing or promised to do. And when you're saved by God's grace, we have a high moral obligation to fulfill, not to earn salvation, but be in gratitude for salvation. And to want to live a life that's pleasing to him. We have inherited the kingdom of God as a child of God. But Paul makes it very clear. If you practice these things, your sinful nature desires these things, and you fulfill these desires on a regular, continuous, habitual way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such a... This means more than someone who has committed adultery or committed fornication or committed sorcery or drunkenness or any of the things we talked about. This speaks of those who continue on a habitual way, ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit that tells them to stop, and they said, I don't want to stop. I want what I want. I'm going to live the way I'm going to live. And that's all that matters. I have control over my life. And if you're a Christian and use that license of sin and say, oh, you'll forgive me, God, anyway. You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. This habitual continuation of filling and fulfilling your fleshly sins rather than an isolated lapse of judgment or a weakness where you fell to it. And you, oh, I can't believe it. You repent and you, you're remorseful and you, re oh, you just feel like you're just being torn inside for the fact that you did succumb to that sin. You then pour out your heart and say, God, I know you freed me from this, but God help me. I can't believe I fell to this. That's different than saying, oh, man, as long as I don't get caught, you know, I'm going to be fine and God loves everybody and he died for all and, I'll just continue to live the way I want to live and we'll just 
will we'll get my life straight when I get closer to death. Like you have control over those issues. biblical idea of conversion. When we come to Jesus to have our sins forgiven and our souls saved, he also changes our life. It doesn't happen all at once. And the work will never be perfected on this side of eternity, but there will be a real change nonetheless. 1 John chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. There will be a change. And you all have been saved. You know what I'm talking about when you said, I had no problem doing those sins. And then when you got saved, it grieved you. You were fighting it in your mind. You can't believe this would even think and come across your mind anymore. And the battle is there. And you think, why am I thinking these things? Well, because the enemy's still there. It's still fighting across the trench every day with you. But how you fight back is all depends on if you let free will of that and fulfill that. And the thing that this list does for you and I is to examine yourself. Am I habitually desiring to live in the sin? And the answer is yes. Know what the scripture says. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But God says, if you repent today, give that over to him today. Surrender your life today. He will save your soul and take you into eternity. And he will change you. You will be free from that sin. And you will have eternal hope. Because right now, you may be fooling yourself, fooling yourself. Because if you're living in habitual sin, you are fooling yourself if you have eternal hope. You must give your life to Christ. And you must repent. And you must take the steps and actions to change that habit. You must do your part. And we are here to help you. By using the word of God to help you to bring clarity for you. Because Christians also fall and do the lust of the flesh. Ask David who horribly fell into adultery. He made a choice. But do you see what, how he responded? Remember Peter who grievously denied Jesus Christ. Horrible sins. But the difference is, is however this great these sins were, they were not committed to hurt or rebel against God, but from their weakness. And when their sins were brought to their attention, these men did not stubbornly continue in their sin, but truly repented. The Holy Spirit is speaking to someone. If you're in habitual sin that's on this list or any alike, and he's speaking to you right now, you must Understand, do what David and Peter has done. Understand that God is just giving you grace and he's showing you you have the chance to repent and to surrender your life to him and be free from that and have eternal hope. Do not be stubborn and say, you'll never figure it out, pastor. <laughs> uh, don't you think, it I, doesn't matter if I know or not. See, there's what fools you. It doesn't matter if mom and dad finds out. God knows. Remember, God sees all things, knows all things. He's everywhere. He is all powerful, and he speaks to moms and dads. 
And he speaks to pastors. He speaks to your heart. And that's all that matters. Just respond and repent. This whole chapter, this whole chapter leads and lends ourselves to search and examine ourselves. When we come to the table, we examine yourself. It's so much better if you examine yourself and God says, yep, sorry. Just keeps creeping back up. Yes, sir. Forgive me. And let the word wash over you to cleanse you, to comfort you, to change you. Don't push the word away. See, ignoring the, the tone, the text of this chapter is a problem for you. And for me, it's a gift. The problem is not someone else, not your circumstances, not the place you live, not your past, not your present. It is the problem within us. It needs to be dealt with by the Spirit of God. Augustine said, Lord, deliver me from this evil man, myself. With that kind of reality check, then your life can be changed, and he so promises to change it you'll have a whole new world, a whole new life in front of you. And it won't be based on circumstances. It will certainly not be based on the weather temperature. It will not be based on your parents or your grandparents or your cousins and uncles and everybody else who you can blame for. The problem is within, and God says he can help you if you let him help you. But all we all must do is yield to the Spirit of God and begin to truly walk in the Spirit.